You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I am Brad Nakunda-Clark. I connect interim talent with NHS leaders, and I am your host. So, first of all, thank you very much for, for joining us and agreeing to participate in the series. Um, in terms of, um, you know, intros, let's go around and do an introduction from, from each person. Um, anyone want to take the, the volunteer on that? I don't mind going first. Hi, I'm Amy Freeman. I am the Director of Digital and Digital Transformation at University Hospitals North Midlands in Stoke-on-Trent. Good afternoon. I'm Mike Emery. I'm the Director of Digital Health in uh, for Hereford and Worcester Clinical Commissioning Group, but I'm uh, fundamentally the uh, uh, Chief Information Officer for the Hereford and Worcester Integrated Care System. Kieran, would you like to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Kieran Mann, Chief Information Officer for Willows Health, which is a uh, primary care organisation in, in Leicestershire. I'm also Primary Care Digital Transformation Lead for um, Leicester, Leicestershire and Rutland CCGs. And last but not least, Andy. Hi, I'm Andy Callow. I'm the Group Chief Digital Information Officer for the University Hospitals of Northamptonshire. That's Kettering and Northampton General Hospitals. I'm also the Executive Digital Lead for the Northamptonshire ICS. Excellent. So you've all sent me some excellent questions, some funny ones for sure. We're definitely in there. Um, I'd like to invite Andy to start off with the first question, if that's OK. So if you'd like to pose that to the group. Yeah, so the question I'd like to ask is around diversity in our profession. As I look around on this screen, we've all got, uh, you know, uh, certain uh, characteristics. And I think we're, we're there's there's certainly uh, some middle-aged uh, white blokes on this call, and um, you know, what are we what are we doing within our profession to increase diversity? From my so, perspective, it's it's there's an element of well, understanding why diversity is really important. In the fact of uh, sounds a very strange thing to say, but from where I sit, what I've learned over the last few months, having people from different backgrounds who think differently, come from different directions, results in a far better working environment, but more often than not, better solutions and, de and better delivery. And it also enables you to understand, your, you know, you, you by that you also understand your communities better who you're working with. So um, there is a risk, and Andy mentioned it, yeah, I am a one of these white middle class males. Um, probably middle-aged as well, like to deny it. Um, but there, there is, I don't understand some of that, some of those communities. And what we've also done, and the only other thing to mention is I've, I've really learned as well to try and actually proactively talk and identify potential some stars in this area, you know, from different backgrounds. So very much working with um, uh, someone in our team, pointed them towards the Shuri network, which is a great network around uh, women of colour in in um, from Baymac uh, backgrounds. Um, you know, really great initiative. So she gets the support. But what she's also doing, if you like, is also reverse mentoring me to understand some of the issues and barriers she's faced. And there are some things, you know, she, she talks about going in meetings and having been 
you know, no one comes round to me and asks me a question. They almost assume sometimes I'm there to take notes or whatever, which is appalling. But that's what she's felt. So I, uh, you know, that has been a real education to me. So I think we have to spot the talent, but I also have to educate myself. Kieran, you've got your hand up. Would you like to, to say a point? Yeah, sure. So I think um, in terms of primary care, there's actually quite a decent amount of diversity, at least in Leicester um, already. Uh, I think the diversity of age groups, however, is something that kind of we've spent quite a lot of time at Willow's House trying to figure out um, how do you attract people to primary care um, and retain them is the real challenge right now. Um, you know, we have as many people coming into the organisation as we have going out, right? And that doesn't make any sense because you obviously lose a huge amount of knowledge as well when those folks disappear. And and just speaking to those those people, you know, saying through their exit interviews and just saying, you know, what, what's the reason you guys are leaving? And it seems to be obviously there's a there's a pay thing there. There's a, there's a big pay discrepancy between, say, reception staff and kind of the managers. But also, I think there's something about them saying, you know, the, the feedback was that, you know, access to newer technology, kind of a, a way to get up the ladder is not completely obvious to them straight away. So the, the, I think there's something about attracting, you know, younger folk to the NHS is, is going to be a challenge because obviously I think if you come out of university immediately, mm. you're thinking, well, I'll just go to the private sector because I get paid more. Uh, there's the potential to, to, you know, move into a management um, area or, you know, something completely different, something completely exciting, I guess. So for me, it's, it's kind of looking at how can we make the job uh, more fulfilling and, and more exciting because I think when you're on the front line especially you know if you're a receptionist for example it's really hard to stay motivated throughout the day uh, with patients and the incoming calls and all the tasks that you have to do and you do wonder uh, why, uh, you know speaking to some of the receptionists they're kind of saying well I wonder why I do this job sometimes it's so much work so much so stressful but I think we've kind of crossed the bridge a little bit you know just now we've got new technology and we're kind of using that and it's been 10 years of kind of at least in primary care, has been quite stagnant in terms of the tech that we've been using. And I think now we're finally getting to a point where we're almost at the private sector level. We can kind of enjoy some of the things like Teams and 365 and it just makes the job a bit more like, OK, I'm using new technology that works. You know, I've got decent access to, to kit. Maybe BYOD is coming through. I can access staff Wi-Fi. You know, these little things that actually make up why people stay sometimes in their job. So for me, it's kind of those bits around the job that's really interesting. Thanks. Amy, you've got your hand up. Would you like to, to come in? Yeah, I just wanted to echo Mike's point, really, which is having really diverse teams and all types of diversity, not just ethnicity, not just sex, but a whole, you know, a whole range of um, whether that's social background, whether you know, a whole range of diversity does aid thinking and it allows you to design solutions that will reach a broader audience if you can take thoughts and ideas from that that wide section of group i think what my i've observed over my 22 years working in it and and 18 of those have been in the nhs is the number of um female cios or it directors is starting to grow and, and that's really great but what i've noticed is a lot of those um, amazing leaders don't come from a traditional technology background like a number of our of the male counterparts so you know, I think I'm 
a bit of an exception to the rule in that I started on the service desk and then I went to desktop and then I went to servers and then I went to exchange servers and then I took a decision to move into service management. So I came up through that very traditional IT path. But my female peers, quite a number of them haven't and have come in through a transformation or a program management background. And I think it's interesting to understand why women in particular are not into the tech. Um, so I get involved in the One Health uh, tech group, um, which is a female group around getting women into, into IT, uh, but into all types of IT, coding and you know networking and, and the traditional IT elements as well as the transformational stuff. And I think we need to push hard on that and make sure that if we've got opportunities to go to careers events, at schools or universities or colleges, let's go there and let's show that health tech as a career can be really fulfilling and it's really can be really diverse and we are actively seeking that diversity to enable us to deliver better products for our patients who at the end of the day are all, all really diverse. So we need to be able to take that into account. So that would be my answer is to try and get involved in at an early stage as much as we can in those careers type conversations with with youngsters and, and sell the career as a good career make sure our organizations have a career path so if somebody comes in as an apprentice they can get my job eventually um, and make sure that we're valuing the contribution of that diversity making sure our recruitment is diverse you know how many recruitment panels have you been on where all the panelists are white are all male or you know, where's that diversity on in our recruitment process? And then try and support groups like the Shiri Network and the One Health Tech Network to promote um, people coming into that career, maybe as a part of their later journey uh, rather than at that inception. So that would be my take on that, um, that question. Andy, would you All like right. to, to come to that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so picking up on Mike's point around the how diverse teams make better decisions, I read um, Rebel Ideas last year uh, by Matthew Syed, and that had a really strong message that cognitive diversity in teams are much better at solving complex problems. And um, that comes with having some psychological safety in teams. Um, and there was some research that I really liked that Syed pointed out from Google that basically said that high, the most highest performing teams were those that had a higher psychological safety uh, than others and they were rated effective twice as often. So there's no reason I don't think that th those factors aren't true within the NHS. Um, I, I did a bit of research towards the end of last year and people will be sick of me banging on about it but I looked at all the uh, CIOs across all the 226 trusts in the NHS and as Amy said actually only 20% were female in that list you know which is really depressing and and even more there was only uh, i could only find 4.7 percent of those were non-white people on the uh, on that list so um you know that's really concerning and I, I guess i sit in a position where i'm part of the problem as a as a middle-aged bloke um so i think some of the stuff that uh that people have talked about are really part of that um solution to um uh, sort of help bring different folk into the the uh, the NHS um, and from a, and being quite creative about reaching out in different ways uh, but sort of beyond the traditional way because I think as the NHS we've got we've got a real 
an amazing mission. If you think about, you know, a graduate leaving university and, you know, as as Kieran said, you know, they might go off to think, oh, we'll go to one of the uh, big consultancies. But where else are you going to get that mission that changing people's lives and uh, making such an improvement, uh, with, you know, apart from in uh, things like that we do within the NHS? So I think we probably undersell what that is. And, and I think we know that uh, young people now, it's important to them to have feel like they're making a contribution <clears throat> excuse me as well as you know getting fulfillment from their their career and i think this we we probably don't do enough to uh, say what an amazing place a diverse place this is to work amy do you just want to to come in on the back of that yeah i just wanted to echo your sentiment there andy you know we are as a bunch of geeks we are in the most amazing privileged position to be able to save lives you know, how how does that work? You come out of university with a degree in computing and you can now stop people dying. It, it, we are in a remarkable organisation to work for. Really good point, Amy. Um, Mike, do you want to come on the back of that? Uh, I, was, I was just going to quickly build on that. Some of my team, uh, you know, will look about all oh, this. Why are we doing this? Or this is boring. So I'd have to remind them. I reminded some of this year we did some work on the vaccination program we we worked quite hard overnight at one point to move small thing but move appointments using um we did some quick stuff we had to move people from three to 12 months and we just simple macros in some books to do and they went oh that was really boring and that was hard work and i said do you realize by moving those appointments by calculating that we've probably saved 400 lives by people getting extra vaccinations in time and at that point they all went Wow, you could see them sit up, and and uh, and I think, you know, we should sell that, we should celebrate that, and and not forget those sort of things. Um, and just one last, and just one little story on the importance of thinking differently. I, my daughter's autistic, and I talk about neurodiversity, and I have a lovely story about how thinking different. She, we once were playing and um, pin the tail on the donkey. Her logic is, why are we making this complicated? She took the blindfold up, went up to the donkey and pinned it on the, the tail and went, look, I've won. And a demonstration of, you know, actually, yes, that's simplification. Why are we trying to overcomplicate things? It's a different way of thinking, but really important. You know, we need people like that to think in that logical, simplistic way and with different viewpoints in how to do things. So. I just again neurodiversity different ways of thinking really important to any team i love that story mike that was really cool <laughs> um i think one thing that you know just to maybe come on to a final thought on is you know we're serving really diverse or you guys are sorry you guys are serving really diverse populations how can you how can you service those diverse populations effectively if your own workforce isn't actually diverse? So that's maybe a, a final thought to think of around that. Um, does anyone else have any anything else they wanted to touch on from, from Andy's question? Cool. Um, I'd like to move across to so, Amy's sorry, question. Sorry, sorry, Brad. I'll just, just say one, one final thing, if I may. Um, and I think this is about competency, and I think it's going to be increasingly important for organizations to have leaders who have um what would you call it sort of diversity competence as well as their technical competence in, in an organization because of the as we talked about the criticality of having that diversity in decision making excellent i'd like to go to to amy for her question if you don't mind 
Thanks. Yeah, my question is about um, where transformation stops and digital starts. And, and do we think we will see a time where transformation is impossible without a, a digital element and therefore the two things become morphed into one? Just welcome people's thoughts on that. Uh, I'll quickly go first. I think it's almost impossible now to have transformation without uh, technology or, or other digital uh, aspects uh, underpinning it. Um, I have regular conversations with our tra uh, transformation strategy team um, where they're going, we're trying to do this, this and this or that and, and improve the pathway. And I go, um, well, if you, you know, we need to work in this in partnership because if you don't come to me 95% of the way through the programme and ask me for free extra laptops, when actually if I came in at the start, I could have um, suggested to you uh, we could have used robotic process automation to uh, take out all the extra people you're looking to employ to do the data inputting. So I I think you can't do you can't separate the two. The trick we've got to pull off is we've got to embed, you know, people thinking in, in that dig, digital developments can enable transformation shouldn't necessarily lead it, but has to be at the heart of it. Um, and I still think there's some thinking to do around that and some selling to do that we've got to do going forward. Excellent point, Mike. Kieran, do you want to come off to the back of that? Yeah, just just following on what, with what Mike said, actually, uh, we were actually trying to roll out a program of uh, virtual consultations and a digital front door in primary care right now. And uh, it's, it's like with anything, the technology is fairly easy. It's the change management around it that's super challenging um, because digital won't necessarily appeal to everyone. Um, and I think that's okay because those folks will still access healthcare in the normal way, right? It's just about potentially reducing the call eight o'clock situation if it's in primary care and saying, okay, 20% have moved on to the online system and we can kind of manage this in a better way. So with every project that we're rolling out, we're spending a huge amount of time just with staff and just going through each sort of pain point, I guess, of the software and figuring out, okay, well, how do we deploy this in the best way? And it, it is really challenging. And I think, you know, a lot of programs over the years, the technology has been thrown out and then nothing really happens around it. You know, you get a few people using it and it disappears. And I think now we've finally entered a period where we're actually considering, okay, we've got this this kind of capital here we need to spend it in an intelligent way let's actually speak to staff and understand okay what's your issues right now and just touching on mike's bit about automation you know we're spending a lot of time in um, power automate right now microsoft power automate and it's just a phenomenal tool because we can just go in and we can sit with say the hr people and say guys what's what's the issues here and they'll say well offboarding's a nightmare right now because you know there's so many different systems we need to disable and things like that so for me i think it feels like we've we've crossed over a bridge where uh, a lot of people are very interested in in actually becoming almost citizen coders, right? So we've given access to a few people to just come up with their own power um, automate flows and 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 figure that part out. And I think that's quite exciting to me because uh, I mean I've been around in the NHS for about seven years um, or so. I've never seen this level of excitement around technology and and how it can benefit the patient, right? So. You know, another area we kind of looked into was uh, registering with the practice through an online form. 
which has never been done before really in primary care in Leicester at least and that's now saved a bunch of people having to come in you know collect four forms fill them all out on paper and the advantage of this is they get registered within 24 hours so the care starts even quicker so it's I think there's, there's, there's a piece here where the technology is definitely at the forefront but it's the change management that I think you've got to spend a bunch of time in and I don't know whether that's the role of the CIO or it's the supporting staff around around them but just need to make sure that all the stakeholders are kind of all uh, subscribed to what you're trying to do right which in for us at the moment the priority is patient access and improving the quality of services thanks go to Andy next yeah I mean I, I totally agree Amy uh, one of the things that I'm people hear me saying far too often is there is no service transformation without digital transformation you know the two are in, inextricably linked um, I'm going to start being a stereotype and quoting a book every every question but uh, this there's a book that uh, is absolutely relevant to this it's called Good Services by Lou Down and you know some of the techniques in there around understanding user needs understanding the patient journey and then introducing improvements, which may be digital or maybe maybe not, are actually key parts of the, the toolkit. So I just see that, that those digital techniques and the ways of doing things in a modern way are absolutely applicable to all parts of our uh, the transformation needed across the NHS. Andy, do you think then that uh, we should be providing the digital skills to the transformation teams or the transformation skills to the digital teams. That's a, that's a great question, and and so within my own uh, hospital group, we we're still wrestling with that. So we have got a separate transformation team to the digital team. Uh, we have a a reasonable alignment with some of the techniques that are, that are used, but uh, you know, we certainly have. Um, We've not had a fallout about uh, the Prince Two or and uh, the, the my absolute uh, hatred of it, but uh, you know uh, we're. Um, I think we're working to a, a way actually where there's 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 mutual benefits. I think you're equipping all members of staff to to have some sort of uh, improvement methodology and and going through uh, PDSA cycles or other other things is useful and. What I wouldn't want to do is say, well, you can only make an improvement if the digital team or the transformation team can come and do that for you. Just get on with it. Just be empowered to make those improvements. And if here's a set of techniques that will help you to do that, then let's make sure you're equipped to, to do it. And if you need some help to with some more heavy lifting around data analysis or, or some tools to do it, then, you know, we can help you. Would you like to add to that, Mike? Well, I, I just to Amy's point, I, I think, yeah, good. <laughs> just to Amy's point, I think, um, you know, we're on that journey as well uh, about, um, you know, upskilling people with different sets of knowledge. But I, I, I do think it goes back to the earlier point we made about the multidisciplinary teams and, and, and recognising sometimes there's always the risk. You know, we talk a lot about everybody being agile and that, but you, you, can end up with people too generic if that makes sense um and and we need to play to people's strengths so on one of my team brilliantly te technical but would i put them in a, with a bunch of clinicians to try and sell a change to a pathway would i ek but 
I've but I've got someone who's really good at engaging those clinicians, sitting down with them, um, does the workshop with them, and then we bring the technical person maybe in the workshop or alongside them later. So I think there's always a risk, isn't there, that we talk about people's weaknesses and forget about their strengths. And um, we've always talked about the deficit development model. I, I think we've got to play to people's strengths a lot of the time, as long as it's um, it doesn't, you know, as long as we're not risking people, uh, patients' risk and, uh, and 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 all that sort of thing. But yeah, play to people's strengths. Get your multidisciplinary teams in, um, and uh, and I do like the empowerment of some of those frontline staff to think through some of those improvements. So I think working alongside people is really really important too. Would anyone like to add anything? Well, I mean, so Amy, your your job title, as you described as right at the yeah. start of this, so you know, seems to be the, the transition between the two. Yeah. So, you know, you've been great to hear how you've solved it. <laughs> and I think that's why I asked the question, because I definitely haven't. Um, but there is there is definitely an expectation, but similar to yourself, Andy, that there is a transformation team that is sits outside of digital. Mm. There is a quality improvement team that helps do the um, teach a man to fish, self-improvement, yeah. um, you know, empowering piece of work. And then there's my change team who do the digital change elements. And I don't think we've got that flowing nicely and pulling the strengths of each of those capabilities together yet. But uh, yeah, that is my task over the next year or two for sure. Karen, would you like to go? Sure. Yeah. It's, so in my CCG role, um, I'm also a transformation lead. So it, it's quite interesting. You know, we have 130 practices in Leicester, Leicestershire and Rutland and all with different levels of digital maturity. Right. So we've got these projects coming down. We need to roll them out. And it's very interesting speaking to them because I think uh, most corner shop practices, they uh, struggle with a lot of these uh, initiatives that we bring down because they just don't have the capacity to do that, especially as you go into winter, they don't they don't see it as necessarily a priority, which you know is fa fair enough to them. So we're approaching it in a slightly different way in that we're trying to bring the primary care networks together, and you know have say a forty thousand patient list size with you know say forty fifty staff who can manage a, pro a project together. So you could have an IT implementation lead, you could have a digital transformation lead. They could look at different areas of a few practices and figure out okay what's the best way for these guys to move forward right so uh, one of the things is we probably only turned off fax a year ago it feels like and it's funny with that one because moving away from fax has actually made it harder to get things sent when the when the um when the pathway is actually still just get this referral from here to here emailing is actually harder so it looking through different ways that um these organizations can kind of try and align. It's very interesting and very hard um, because it's not like, I guess, a hospital where you can try and bring people together because it's one organization. Practices, you know, when you've got 130 distinct practices and you've got partners to each side who've got different, you know, thoughts, um, it's a real challenge. And that's why I think it takes quite a few years to 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 bring people up to that kind of level. Um, so that that would be it for me. Thanks. Are there any final points at all to Amy's question? Cool. Um, Kieran, I'd like to invite you to, to ask the next question, please, mate. Sure. 
So my question would be, how has technology such as Microsoft 365 supported your organization to move to a hybrid or remote working model? I mean, I'll, I'll, oh no, Amy's got a hand up. Let Amy go first. Uh, it's enabled fundamental change, you know, the ability to, and, and depending on how you use it and deploy it, um, the ability for people to be able to stand up communities of interest to tackle a particular problem together, record that problem, have meetings about that problem, share files about that problem, and that can be done from anywhere it has become very powerful. I mean, the technology itself is not particularly that, you know, old. It's been around for, for quite some time, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's fundamentally made a, a shift, uh, I, I think. And I think people have been forced to make it work and therefore have made it work they, there is an incentive for them to make it work to protect their colleagues if they were shielding or to enable them to not be exposed as much uh, at work um, and so because there was an incentive to make it work they have done that and proven that it can be done effectively um, so yeah fundamental shift for us and like yourself Kieran we're trying to use the full suite of capabilities not just email and teams, but power automate, power apps, um, really trying to push the envelope around forms, bookings, Microsoft bookings, that's part of the suite as well. So yeah, really, really changed the way that um, that we delivered services. And the reverse proxy capability, for anyone who's not played with that yet, means you can publish clinical systems, as long as they're web-based, you can publish clinical systems through the Office 365 landing page uh, without the need for things like VPN. So that really, again, has pushed that mobility piece uh, e even further. So yeah, fundamental shift for us. Andy, would you like to go next? Uh, yeah, so first thing, uh, I guess from a language point of view, I, I struggle with the term uh, remote working. So I prefer distributed working because I think that's a more inclusive term around, you know, we're, it doesn't matter whether you're in the office or whether you're working somewhere else. We're, we're just a distributed team. So I think what it's helped is for that, that to become more of a reality. Um, I know when I first joined the uh, the acute in, um, in Kettering in 2019, um, if I worked from home, then I would have a this well, I'd have some phone calls or I'd be using this, um, I can't remember what it used to be called, this really dodgy uh, uh, setup uh, that no one else had at the other end, you know, so it'd be lucky if, if two of us could have a video call, but, you know, that was that was basically it. So so I think, you know, it's, it's actually opened a lot of organisations' eyes that actually it is possible to uh, for people to be wholly distributed and, uh, you know, still be effective. You know, I've got teams that, haven't actually set foot on the in the in the trust for 18 months now and I can see I'm going out to recruit some roles um, shortly and there's certainly a possibility that whoever who gets recruited won't need to come into the hospital you know you know maybe once a month something along those lines you know I'm certainly open to that as an idea which means that our geographical normal sort of spread of, of attraction can be can be really widened um and since uh, i've quoted a book every time i'm going to i'm going to finish with saying there's a really good book called work together anywhere uh by uh Lisette sutherland um that's actually got a load of really great techniques for 
sort of making teams uh, work more effectively, including moving to the concept of asynchronous working. You know, I think we're so wedded to people. Yeah, you've got to be in the office nine to five, but actually there's no need for it in the as long as you if you're collaborating on a document, uh, you can do that any time of the day. You'd, you just need to change your way of thinking around um, uh, outcomes that you're, you're seeking from from different people in the team. We'll just go to Mike first. You're on mute. There's always one. There had to be one, and I didn't think I'd done that. But anyway, um, you know, I did it for effect, he says. Uh, a, a few reflections. One, I think it's been, what made me think is that we, we'd had some of these capabilities for two or three years, but no one was using it. And we often have this whole debate about well, we've got to work with people, we've got to do the business change, we've got to leave them on the way. This came disruption. We all went with it, didn't we? So it's challenged my thinking. Sometimes I think we've got to be braver when we're deploying technology and go, do you know what? I think people will cope with these change. Now, I'm not saying that in every time, but it, it, it made me think because actually all of a sudden overnight, my whole organisation after a couple of weeks, second nature. So that, that was an interesting reflection. And I think the other thing for me in the NHS that it's done is there, I've never met Mr. Callow in person, but I'm now regularly on, on meetings with him and we're sharing learning and we're building relationships. I'm having laughs and jokes and humorous things, but we're also sharing jokes. And I'm thinking this is really bought from a technology point of view, from digital and in other areas, so develop some communities, which I think is really beneficial for the NHS. Now, there are great merits in people getting together, and I wouldn't want to lose that for some events and so forth. But there would never be half these networks, Midlands wide networks that meet on a regular basis and share good practice and knowledge. That wouldn't have happened. And, and, and I think that's, to me, really can benefit the NHS. It's stopping a lot of this competition, but we're actually starting to see collaboration. We've still got a lot more to do, but we actually the collaboration. And that to me, I've found that a real joy and that's actually been a huge comfort during the pandemic as well, because at times it's been a release to realise everybody else has to deal with the challenges of, I'm going to get myself into trouble with some of the difficulties we've had rolling out you know the IT around the vaccination program, for example, and and but we've supported one another. So I finish. You know that that's my reflection from some of the remote working. Amy, would you like to go next? Yeah, just wanted to respond to Andy's point about distributed working. I quite like that term. I'm going to steal that one, Andy. Another one I've stealed from you. Mm. Um, and Microsoft have woke up to this big style, so they're about to release a product called Viva. Uh, which actually is part of your Office 365 subscription. So for once, you don't have to pay for it as an extra, although, you know, give it a year or two and they might want to charge you for it. But at the moment, it's 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 going to be a freebie. And it is about using AI to pull together content around the things you're working on, content around the people you contact regularly, um, news feeds around things that you're interested in and presenting that to you in a pane of glass that allows you to look at stuff within your organization that's pertinent to you what you're working on who you communicate with who your communities of interest are and and they're doing that for a reason and i think that is exactly as andy said so that they can 
support people having a much wider net to fish in for their recruits, making people feel using technology to make people feel more together because it's presenting content that is of interest to you um, and allows you to connect to people who have those similar interests. So, you know, there's no secret that that I think that's the, the target they're aiming for is to try and make it a mainstay and a way of connecting people because those traditional avenues are a bit old fashioned now. Anything else anyone wants to add at all or? Kieran? Yeah, I'd just say, uh, just on Amy's point, uh, the Microsoft Eva product looks quite exciting. I think we, we sort of sat around uh, recently and, and tried to figure out, okay, so there's lots of things going on in the organization, lots of really good work, um, but no one's sharing any of it, right? So I don't know what's happening with that person over there, and they've achieved something really quite amazing. And email doesn't seem the appropriate place, and Teams seems good, but I don't think you'd start a, a group up and say, hey, I've done this and put a little image up. I think we're looking into rolling out Yammer soon, right? Because we think that that's probably a place where we could share some of these um, achievements and, you know, you could put out, have some polling out uh, available. You could have some images of different practices because, you know, we run nine practices. So it's very hard to get that sense of community. And I think that's one the one product where I'm quite excited now because there is amazing work going on. We just need the ability to, to 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 share that. Haven't they announced the end of life for Yammer? Check that out. I, I, I think that's part of uh, the Viva offering. So it's coming under that umbrella now, but I think the actual product remains. It's a bit like how Teams file, file structure has kind of replaced SharePoint, but SharePoint's behind the scenes. So from my understanding of, of, of it, it's that they want to bring that that product into Teams as a tab rather than getting rid of Yammer. It'll still be there, but just accessing it a little bit easier. I'll tell you what I've realized in the course of this conversation, that if I need to know anything about the Microsoft product set, I know I just need to give Amy a ring. She's, she is on it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, but see, you know, you, you, need, you need to know your experts, don't you? And who, 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 who's good at things and this kind of conversation more of these just helps we can't all know everything can we but i agree with you i'm going to amy as my expert on all things Microsoft. <laughs> i think there's one word to summarize that and it's collaboration and i think pushing that across the nhs is you know it's going to be an absolute key and and this conversation you know it's good to see that there's some collaboration coming out of that and that we've realized amy is the the absolute microsoft expert <laughs> um i just wanted to ask mike to to finish us off in terms of his question so um, in some ways, we've started to talk about how do we attract people to the NHS? How can we make it exciting um, and, and not see it as this old fuddy-duddy world, potentially? Um, and we've traditionally sometimes talked about informatics. Is that a good way to brand ourselves? And, and I was thinking of this and, you know, books and Andy's talked about books. Well, if we're trying to think of teams, can we think of a team? So, you know, can we think of a different branding? So I've got a book here, Avengers Assemble, you see. So, uh, you know, is there a different way of thinking of us in a, an exciting way that can attract things, attract people to us to work? And is informatics an old word? And particularly, I'd like to hear from Andy, first of all, because we've had lots of debates around this this word um, and, and, and hear from his, his point of view. I mean, as you said, 
Mike and I, we've never met personally, but he already knows how to push my buttons. Uh, this word informatics, I, I really got a problem with it in that we've talked quite a bit about inclusion, haven't we, on this this call? Yeah. And, and I feel that that is a word that's very internal to the NHS. And <clears throat> somebody looking, if we're trying to attract staff from uh, people from outside, then it's a word that doesn't make sense to people. They can't grasp what that uh, this informatics mm -hmm. professional would be. And um, Mike and I have done some work on the uh, skills development network in the Midlands and um, <clears throat> typically they're called the Informatics Skills Development Network or ISDN and it seems entirely appropriate that that's named also after a technology that was introduced in 1986. So uh, Mike and I, you know, basically I, I said I wasn't going to be involved if it, it, it had the word I in it and Mike's graciously allowed us to call it the uh, Midlands Digital Health Skills Development Network and uh, we're, we're knocking down those barriers one by one aren't we Mike so um, so so I've, I've got a real problem with it uh, in that it's it's it creates a, a barrier that isn't necessary I feel. Amy would you like to, to go next? Two things I think now I've moved to Stoke-on-Trent I am classed as Midlands so sign me up to your club, Mike. I want to be in. I'm yeah. in. Um, the, I also hate the word informatics. Uh, I think partially because it sounds too much like mathematics and I wasn't ever very good at that. Um, and I don't think I'm rubbish at this. So, you know, it doesn't really connect to me as an individual. Um, and I don't think it describes our landscape either. If you think we've got business intelligence data engineers data scientists at one extreme and you've got desktop engineers and network engineers at another informatics doesn't quite give credence to the network engineers and the desktop engineers and i find that unfair um and not and doesn't value that as an expertise and it is highly valuable because it's the foundation of everything um so yeah i hate it too um i'm not a massive big fan of digital either i think that the meaning of it needs to be really understood and what's digital as opposed to IT and do people really understand the difference and another word I don't like is um, resilience I can't stand the word resilience for me resilience is another word that says let me give you loads more work and you're going to just get up, get on with it because you're more resilient um, so yeah there's a whole catalogue of, of NHSE words yeah. that no longer mean what they should have meant because we've used it in the NHS um, I don't know what the right word is, though. That's the only problem. I think digital is probably as close as we'll get, but I'm not sure that necessarily describes us either. I, I, I just want to say you've pushed my button. I am so pleased to have met someone who hates the word resilience because I get it, it almost gets used. And I think it's the wrong word that people use it as almost that person's not resilient enough. Well, the reason they might not be resilient enough is because we've loaded on an awful lot of work on them. Um, and I think that when we go back to recruitment and, and attracting staff, you know, when you start talking about is this person resilient enough to work for us, I think that's totally wrong. You know, that creates the wrong image. So I, we shouldn't need people to be resilient, should we? We yeah. should have an environment yeah. and the working conditions and a workload yeah. that is that doesn't require Superman pants to be pulled on and, and for them to be resilient. They, they should be able to come to work and not have to be resilient to do a, a good day's work, in my opinion. You're, you're, you're definitely in the club now, tell you. <laughs> Andy, would you like to go next? Yeah, I was just sort of add that, that you know, totally agree with what you say, Amy, around 
you know, if we take the agile principles, that is basically is to work in a way that is indefinitely sustainable. You know, and if 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 I, you know, I do like the word digital because it is, in in my mind anyway, it's, it, it it helps us to have a definition that to say this is something different to IT, and you know, the agile principles that are applied is is one way of articulating that. I think that's I think that's good if people understand the difference and and I mean we had our NHS providers digital board session at UH&M a couple of weeks ago and we spent quite a bit of time exploring the difference between digital and IT and they now get it and recognize it as a bigger uh, more encompassing uh, piece but before that they gave my job the job title because you know it sounded posher I think I I I I I, th I think the key is is people understanding, as you say, I mean, what we're talking about, isn't it? If we talk about, you know, we think about the words, um, but if we truly, if we understand what digital means and then we, we, we explain it well and get people to understand what we're trying to do, we're not just, and this is no disrespect to service engineers because they're absolutely key to our foundations, but it, but it is also about, you know, putting things in place that, deliver improved health outcomes and patient outcomes isn't it that's what we're about that's why I've got into this business um uh, and I and I go back to the fact I I think we can use that as a brand to sell it digital health or digital transformation and track people to the industry and and our industry I I talk a lot about the global digital tech industry is the fastest growing in the world it'd be worth 500 billion by 2025 why wouldn't you want to be involved with this world, be it in the Googles of this world or actually on the ground in the health organisations? Really exciting. So let's let, let's sell it and get the right branding and terminology out there to to the talent. That's that's what I want to do. Kieran, would you like to, to give your thoughts on the word informatics, first of all? And uh, second to that, any NHS words that you despise? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess I don't have a massive issue with informatics. It does have a ring of 2000s to me, uh, but, uh, you know, we don't use that internally. You know, we just got the kind of IT department and I guess it has brought to the forefront uh, of, of actually we probably do need to rename ourselves as digital because we we actually just sit on a lot of different teams and we enable them in digital ways. Right. We don't just do service tickets and figuring out password resets and whatnot. So I guess that bit is, is quite interesting. And the other point, Mike, that you made about retaining staff and attracting people, I mean, that, that's just massive. You know, we, I talked about it earlier and there's no easy solution to it. But, you know, I know in our organization, we've kind of got like this well-being lead now who kind of sits with people and understands what's going on with them and trying to figure out, OK, can we modify the way you're working to support you in a better way? And I think there has to be some of that now, right? And it doesn't, and back to another point somebody made about, okay, maybe you don't need to do nine to five anymore. Is it task-based now? And and we're trying to move to a sort of Microsoft planner sort of based working routine where we figure out priorities, we figure out due dates. And you know what, if you need to go and do something in the middle of the day, not a problem because we know when that task is due and I'm sure you can figure it out. You're an adult, right? So. I'm quite excited for this new world, I guess, um, but it's about showing that that is 
available in the NHS because I think when people look at these job descriptions on NHS choices they're pretty generic you know and it, no, no mention about remote work or hybrid working and that kind of thing so I think we need to be a little bit better at marketing ourselves. Great. Does anyone have any final thoughts at all on that? Anyone? No. Cool. Well, I just wanted to thank you all, first of all, because that was a, a really good session. I've definitely come away with, uh, you know, some really good learns. I've come away with a couple of new books as well that I'll be asking Andy to, to send across to me for recommendations. But yeah, first of all, massive thanks for, for taking the time out to, to do that. Um, you've got your hand up, Mike. Did you want to say something? Yeah, well, no, no, no one's asked me. Uh, we haven't asked the question about who's what was your favourite soft toy as a youngster. I mean, <laughs> take the centre stage on it. Let's answer it. <laughs> Gosh. What, what, mine was a, a soft toy koala. That, that, that's it. It's not very exciting, but there you go. Mine was an elephant. <laughs> yeah, Does anyone want I to actually an, answer that? I had an elephant too, Bradley. Yeah. A little beanbag one. Yeah. Mine was very similar. Beanbag baggy. Yeah. Beanbag. Andy, come on, I tell us. Had, uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, just a conventional teddy that my uh, grand knitted uh, some a football kit for. <laughs> was that Boston United um, by I any chance? A... It was actually Liverpool because I was uh, about age seven. I think I was a glory hunter and uh, just picked one of the biggest teams. It was only in my teenage years that the delights of Boston United landed in my heart to stay. I'm a massive Everton fan, Andy, so I'm really disappointed. <laughs> well, I think I think you should be glad that I ditched Liverpool and uh, you know yeah. went for something you know truer, grittier. <laughs> Proper football. Um, Kieran, go on, give us yours. It was just a yeah standard there that went through the wash a few years ago and it's not been the same since, but my daughter seems to quite like it. So it survived amazingly 30 years. Uh, but yeah, it's just a normal bear, really. <laughs> Bradley, you've got every podcast you have now, you've got to ask every CIO that question. OK, that's your challenge. And then as soon as I've got all the results, we'll yeah. uh, we'll put it into a fancy well, uh, report that, that, and we'll share it. Be, if you're going to have a series, every every podcast, that's your end question, just to to keep to keep it going. You know, I'll put your name to it as well. I'll say Mike Emery specifically asked this question. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, that was excellent. It was great to, to spend some time with you um, and to discuss the topics. It was really good. In terms of process side of things now, I'll get this across to the marketing team. Um, we'll get it all formatted back to you guys for approval. Um, and then I'll follow up with you guys just to talk through, you know, what your thoughts and feedback were, you know, in terms of the, the podcast, any areas of improvement would be, you know, always welcome. And then we'll uh, we'll go from there and get it get it published. Okay. All right. Thanks. Good fun. Good fun. Good fun. Enjoyed that. Thank you. Good to meet everybody. Good to meet you, Thanks Amy. All. Take See care. You have a, a great evening, guys.